0: My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 137. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. Today, I'm going to tell you a little story about a very interesting car. And I first encountered this car when I was 14 years old. Yeah, we had moved here from West Virginia to Greenville, Tennessee. We lived in St. Albans, West Virginia. My dad worked for Chevrolet Motor Division. And he decided to buy a car dealership in Greenville, Tennessee, so he became a Chevy dealer. And when we moved to Greenville, we were starting fresh as far as the kids were concerned, my brother and I. I started the 10th grade, and he started the 11th grade at Greenville High School. And we quickly made friends. He probably more quickly than I did. I was a little—can you believe I was shy? Somewhat, back then. So anyway, uh, he met this guy named Shane— I'm not going to tell you his last name. But Shane's dad was a big time car collector in Greenville, Tennessee. And so, and I became friends with uh, Shane's younger brother. And so, just to find something to do, uh, we would hang around with uh, their dad. And he was, like I say, a big antique car collector. And he invited us to go to a big car show, the annual, uh, let's see, what was it some auto club, volunteer auto club or something, car show. They always had it at a big tobacco warehouse on Summer Street in Greenville. So we asked my parents for permission. They said, sure, go along with them to the car show. So we went to the car show. So you walk in the front door, pay pay for your ticket and so forth, and then the first thing you'd see when you looked to the left was this monster of a black Mercedes. It was a 1939 Mercedes-Benz 770K. And there was a sign on the front of the car that said that it was a Nazi car owned by Heimlich, no, not Heimlich, that's what you do when somebody's choking, Heinrich Himmler. So who was he? Well, he was the, I guess, the number one or number two guy underneath Hitler and the orchestrator of the Holocaust. So back then, that really didn't have that big of an impact on me. I mean, I knew about World War too, and Hitler and all that stuff. But I just, you know, today that would really bother me to look at that car. But, you know, that was then. And so not only did I look at the car, I sat in the car, got in the back seat where supposedly Himmler sat. So, you know, we saw the whole car show and went on our way. Well, a few days ago, I was on my computer and I was doing a little bit of research on. Greenville, Tennessee. I was was looking on Facebook and I saw somebody posted some old pictures of Main Street. And so I was uh, I googled uh, old car dealership photos. I just wanted to see if they had any photos of, you know, some of the old dealerships that were in Greenville that I knew about and the ones that I, you know, that was basically before us. And up comes this picture of this Mercedes and I said, "I remember that car." Well, that car turned out to not be Heinrich Himmler's car. It was actually Hitler's car. Uh, the car was acquired by a guy named Tom Austin. He owned a company in Greenville, Tennessee called the Austin Tobacco Company. Well, he was the founder of it. And uh, they were actually the third largest employer in Greenville, Tennessee when we moved to Greenville. Uh, let's see, Magnavox was number one. They had about 5,000 employees. And then Pet Milk Company. Big milk company here in Greenville. Of course, Greenville used to be the number one dairy producer in, or Green County did the number one dairy producing county in the state of Tennessee. I'm sure it's not anymore. But uh, and then you had the Austin Tobacco Company, and it was a big company because at one time uh, Greenville or Green County, Tennessee, was the number two producer of burley tobacco in uh, the nation. I think there was a, a county over in North Carolina that was slightly ahead of it. But they had a huge tobacco market here, and the Austin Company dominated the market. And they had all these tobacco warehouses all over the place, and they used this one tobacco warehouse to have this annual car show. Where I saw what I thought was Heinrich Himmler's car turned out to be Adolf Hitler's car. So how did this car make it from war-torn Europe to the VFW? Which was where it was stored in Greenville, Tennessee. Well, I'll tell you the rest of the story here in just a minute. So a total of five cars were made for Adolf Hitler to cruise around in. They were all uh reinforced with armor plated steel and bulletproof glass. It was a convertible car though. I mean it was very big. It's probably longer than a Chevy Suburban. Of today, or a Ford Expedition. But this car was uh, gorgeous, really. It had the big side pipes that came out of the uh, the cowl on the, the hood. It was uh, uh, extremely heavy, as you can imagine, with all the armor plating. Of the five cars that were made for him, uh, three of them are privately held, and two of them are in museums. This car was purchased by Mr. Tom Austin, Tom Austin Sr., I should say, at the uh, whopping price of $1,800 worth of tobacco from a guy in, in Europe that uh, had possession of the car and actually wanted uh, a big supply of tobacco. And $1,800 worth of tobacco was a lot back in 1946 when this car was acquired. So it was brought back to the United States by Mr. Austin. It was put in storage, and then finally he decided the car needed to be seen, so they put it at the VFW here in Greenville, Tennessee. The car was actually running at that time and was used in parades up and down Main Street. Can you imagine? Doesn't that seem just wildly inappropriate? But Gold Star Mothers, which were mothers that had lost loved ones in the war, would actually ride in this car. Also wildly inappropriate... But that's what they did, and the car stayed here for about three decades until a local car club, and, well, several members of the local car club said, "You know, we need to, we really need to investigate this car, find out what the real deal is, is it legit, and what's it worth? I mean, it needs to be sold to somebody, so that we can raise money for you know local projects like the VFW or whatever." So they ended up selling the car to an individual for fifty thousand dollars. Pretty big money because they everybody knew now that it was actually one of Hitler's cars, that Benito Mussolini had even ridden in this car in parade. There are pictures online of them riding in this very car uh, with the same license number, with the same license number attached to the same VIN number. They know it was Hitler's car. Now, if you fast forward to January 16th of 2018, there's an article online, Yahoo Finance, that talks about this particular car. And the fact that it was getting ready to go up for auction. Well, it did. It actually ended up uh, going through the auction. It did not sell. Guess what the bid was for the car? The final bid was $7 million for this particular car, but they no sold the car because the sellers obviously felt like it was worth more. You know, when this car was built, it was built under the direction of the chauffeur of Adolf Hitler. His name was Eric Kempke, and he asked Mercedes engineers to make sure that it had maximum protection for Adolf. Seems weird that they would uh, let him ride around in a convertible car, but they did end up putting a lot of security measures in it, like 30 millimeter bullet resistant glass. I remember looking at that glass and just marveling how thick it was. Uh, it had a lot of armor plating, as you can imagine, both the sides and underneath the car, and also a, a rear panel that could be popped up at the last minute or the last second to uh, protect from somebody attacking from the rear. I guess uh, Adolf wasn't real secure because of the numerous attempts that uh, were made on his life as he was running that country into to the ground and killing everybody. But documents suggest that the car was first publicly used on October 1939 as a part of a large motorcade, which delivered Hitler to the uh, Chancellery, I think they called it, in Berlin, in front of international media. It was also used for a state visit by Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini in 1940. Uh, just one month later, Hitler used it for a victory parade after his swift defeat of France. So the car was seized by American forces in uh, 1945 and was stationed basically in a small town called Le Le Havre in northern France. It was shipped to the United States in 1946. And I'm reading from the article now where it was bought by Mr. Tom Austin, a rich tobacco planter from Greenville, Tennessee. He really wasn't a planter. He was a... I guess an accumulator of tobacco and then a reseller of tobacco. And it says that he apparently didn't have a lot of understanding about the car, the provenance of the car. He just wanted the big Mercedes. And uh, he had a couple guys, two classic car hunters in 1976, came to see the car. And um, actually, they were representing a guy named Ralph Engelstad, who was the owner of the Imperial Palace Casino and Hotel in Las Vegas and ended up Buying the car at that time, so from 1946 to 1976, uh, Hitler's car was in Greenville, Tennessee, and then it went on to be owned by several different owners, and ultimately was put up for auction on uh, Jan. Well, sometime in late January of 2018, where the car, the bidding went up to seven million dollars and then stopped. So for a car that was purchased. I don't know what it cost to build that car back in 1939, Um, but I know that it sold for $1,800 worth of tobacco in 1946 and then was worth, by 2018, it was worth $7 million. And they know it. So where's the car now? Who knows? Uh, The car last time, let's see, the last thing I saw was that the car was somewhere in a museum in Canada. So if you want to see it, you're just going to have to Google it. So I'm going to take another break, and I'll be back here in just one minute. You know, even though that car was originally sold for $1,800 worth of tobacco and eventually brought $7 million, that's not the kind of car that I want to be known for owning. It's just too bizarre. But I tell you what, the classic car market has been quite the ride for the last, I'm going to say, 12 years because in 2011, no, see 2012, I purchased my first Ford Bronco. I was sitting at the house looking at a, uh, a car magazine and it just popped into my head, you know I'd like to have one of those old Broncos. I'm a Ford dealer and I think it would be a cool thing to have. I didn't like them back when I was a Chevy guy back in the of course I really wasn't that that much aware of them because they came out in 1966. And they stopped building them in 1977. But at this point in my life, I decided that would be a cool thing to have. So I started looking on Craigslist. Remember what Craigslist is or was? Maybe it's still around. I don't use Craigslist at all now. But back then I did. And I just did a search for vintage Bronco. And a bunch of them came up. And I looked through a bunch of them and I said, you know, here's one that's interesting. It says, 1974 Ford Bronco, 16,000 miles, $20,000. I said, 16,000 miles? That can't be right. Well, I had a phone number. So I called the phone number, and the guy answered the phone, and he said, yeah, I've got a Bronco. And, and it was legit, he said, 16,000 miles. I said, how'd this happen? He said, well, my brother lives in Arkansas, and he lived beside this farmer, and this farmer had this Bronco, and he and his wife would rarely use it. They kept it in a a barn that had a concrete floor, and they would get that thing out, and they'd drive it to, to town, which was about five miles away, get groceries, drive back. Well, the farmer passed away, and then his wife passed away, and then the estate had control of the vehicle, and he approached them after a certain amount of time, and they said, sure, we need to sell everything, tractors and all. So he bought the Bronco from them. Well, he thought he was going to mess with it and play with it, but it didn't work out. So he ended up selling it to his brother in Georgia, which is the person that had listed the vehicle in on Craigslist. So I decided, well, you know, if I can buy this thing in anywhere close to that, we ended up negotiating a deal. I think I paid six, or offered him sixteen thousand five hundred dollars for the vehicle, and he accepted. So I got went to the dealership, picked up my aluminum trailer and drove to I can't remember the town just outside of Atlanta. And it was a very remote place, but ended up going finding this dirt road and turned down this driveway. Pretty house, bunch of people sitting on the front porch and there's that Bronco sitting there. And I see you know, the thing looks pretty good. Had a lot of uh, I guess the the paint had had faded a tremendous amount and uh, just I mean, when you think about how old it was, that makes sense. And I looked underneath it, and it was dirty, but still just surface rust. I got inside. There's no rust in the floorboard. And I hadn't asked him, but I didn't realize the thing had the Explorer package on it. Yeah, they had a a package that actually was called the Explorer package, and it had the coolest-looking 1970s plaid seats in it. It had a floor mat. Automatic transmission. Had no idea the vehicle had automatic power steering. I mean, just in amazing condition, and so I was tickled to death. Loaded up on the trailer, brought it home, paid sixteen thousand five hundred dollars for it. Do you know what that vehicle would be worth today? Well, I can tell you, it would be worth somewhere between eighty and ninety thousand. That's what those things are bringing. How many four hundred one ks go up that much? in let's see I had I bought it well I had it for about eight years before I sold it. I didn't sell it for eighty thousand. I sold it to my next door neighbor. I didn't get near that. So but I did end up uh, painting the vehicle for him, which I hated. I I, I felt like we needed to leave it like it was. But no he wanted it painted. So we painted it. And he kept that thing for about two years and said, Hey Lenny, you want to buy the Bronco back? And I said, I sure do. So I brought it back or bought it back and I cleaned up a few more things that that needed to be done and then I put it on on the internet. I think I put it on I didn't put it on Craigslist. I think I put it on eBay. And so this guy who is an executive for Chick-fil-A ended up buying the thing from me. And I sold it for quite a bit more than I paid my neighbor for it. That's the way this thing works. I mean, you you try to buy them low and sell them high. So Especially on vintage cars, I bought my 1970 Bronco the same way it would basically been purchased in uh, let's see Montana by a guy who was an amateur gemologist. This was his second Bronco, so he must have bought one of the early ones, like in, like right after they came out. This was a 1970 model, it only had 37,000 miles on it. Well, he passed away. His grandson got the vehicle, drove it from Montana to Florida. And then decided that it wasn't gonna work for him, so he put it on eBay, and I found it on eBay and bought it for $17,000. Now, it's not worth quite as much as that, uh, that Explorer package 1974 model, but it's still probably, I wouldn't take any less than 70 for it. Can you imagine? Old cars can be really good investments, or they can be awful. You know, Broncos and Mustangs and Camaros and Chevelles, um, you know, any kind of muscle cars from the 60s and 70s, as long as they have two doors on them and a manual transmission, they're worth a lot of money. Some automatics are. You know, Corvettes are always going to go up. Uh, C2 Corvettes, like the ones that were built from 63 to 67, those are skyrocketing, especially the uh, 63 split window Corvette. You know that car had a little, had a pretty big size or a pretty large rear window, and it had a bar that went down the middle of the window, and people really didn't like it. Chevrolet changed it in '64. They said we're getting rid of that bar. Well, those are the ones that everybody wants. '63 split window. So who who knows? Those cars, probably two years ago, three years ago, were bringing 60000 dollars. Now they're in the mid one hundreds. How do you predict something like that? I mean, you just really can't, um, but I, it's a generational thing. You know, the things that are really getting hot right now are cars that were popular with the uh, uh, Generation X. You know, people that are in their 40s and 50s now are really buying cars that, that they really like, like Toyota Supras and, and Nissan Z cars and stuff like that. They like the truck's. The, especially the square body trucks, basically from 1983 to, no, that's not right, 1973 to 1987, Chevrolet made what what is referred to now as the square body trucks. I got so sick of those trucks as a Chevrolet dealer. I just kept wanting them to change them. They really didn't drive that good. Uh, they weren't real roomy. There was no extended cab or crew cab, it was just a regular cab truck, but my goodness, those things are going up in value every month. So you just can't predict it. You have to look at the market just like you do anything at the stock market or the housing market, you know, and just follow along and watch stuff like bringatrailer.com or or classic car auctions and see what's going up, you know, And, and you have to really understand the market. If you buy a project car, you better get ready to pay out the nose to get it restored uh, because really by the time you get done with it you'll have more money in it than what you'll be able to get out of it. What I'm doing now is trying to find cars that are already restored that I can just flip or you know maybe some cars that really don't need anything. I mean they, they just have that they're just old and they're showing their age and sometimes those cars will bring more money unrestored because of the what they call the patina. People like to see cars with patina. So we always want to try to please people with what they want, right? If I can help you with a decision on an old car, whether it's something that you have in your basement, something that somebody's trying to sell you or you're thinking about buying, feel free to call me. I do have a lot of experience at this. I even sat in Hitler's car. Call me, 423-552-2020. Or email me at lawson 2020 at gmail.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed the journey. I will see you next time on My Car Guru.